Preaching in Jesus' name this morning. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. I uh, prepare my sermon before I check out the Sunday school lesson, and so this morning we are going to have a continuation of Sunday school. Uh, pretty much. <clears throat> Thursday evening at Maranatha, I spoke on. Uh, embracing the cause and talked about David and Goliath and how David asked the question, is there a cause? And he embraced that cause and, uh, and as I studied that, I was so impressed that when the encounter happened between David and Goliath that David ran toward Goliath. Oh boy, I, I just trying to, I'm trying to envision myself in that situation. Uh, David tackled his problems. He literally tackled his problems. He had one uh, big one there, and uh, that adversity brought out the best in David. And uh, and, and I, I just sit and meditate, you know. I'm thinking about myself, and I think about uh, how I come out in tests. Uh, and so this morning the sermon is strong in the midst of testing and so we're going to look at James 1 anyhow also I was reading a book yesterday and the, and the man who wrote the book said that um, one of the indications of a lazy preacher is he always just keeps preaching topical subjects instead of taking a passage of scripture because that's a whole, that's a whole lot harder to dig it all out so I was kind of a little convicted there because I don't, I don't know too much expository preaching. But uh, we'll give it a shot this morning. Anyhow, James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and, the Lord and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For not, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low. Because as, a, as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth, 
and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to him that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down the Father, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. In the story of David and Goliath, Israel was being tested, and they were miserably failing, miserably failing, being intimidated with this heathen giant. But David embraced the test. And in verse 2 here, James says that we should count it all joy. I'm being trying to be realistic, and I'm trying to be honest, and I'm trying to be fair. And uh, quite frankly, I don't seem to be all excited about tests that I face. I have to be honest with you. So obviously, I need a different perspective, personally. Uh, I need an adjustment with the way I encounter tests. And so I need my vision clarified. I need to understand some principles in the Word of God that obviously I uh, have not addressed or don't understand or are not keenly aware of at the time when I'm tested. And so this, this morning, um, we're going to look at a few things here. Benefits that come from testing. So that you along with me can kind of clarify, clarify a few things in our mind. And so when tests come, that we can retain our perspective. The first one is patience. Trying of your faith, when you are tested, it works patience. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes things come into my life and I have aims and goals and schedules and things that I want to get done and places I want to go and uh, just last week I had my afternoon schedule of everything I wanted to do. And this girl came to me and said, uh, well, there's two out of the three toilets 
rocking back there in the girls' restroom and they're dumping water out on the floor. And so I had to, what I say, kiss toilets when you're down there, you know, getting the bolts off. And so I did shim them good enough. Evidently the shims came loose. The floor was uneven. They started rocking and the seal went bad and... I had opportunity to exercise patience and just leave all what I needed to do and to take care of this very unpleasant, unfortunate circumstance that I brought on to myself by not installing the toilets properly and whatever. Patience. Now, all these things obviously hinge on the simple fact that we as Christians desire to respond correctly. I mean, you know, it's. You, testing is either going to bring out the best of us, out of us, or the worst out of us. And so, assuming that we're, we're on a quest for God and we want to do what God wants, then. then uh, Yes, we, we, we say, yeah, you know, just tell Dennis, just, just relax now, just relax. All these things you had planned to do aren't going to happen, and, and this unpleasant job is going to take a while. And so, um, yeah, tomorrow's another day, and I can do tomorrow what uh, I thought I would do this afternoon. So patience. Patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect. No, perfect? Anybody here perfect? I believe that word means mature. As we experience roadblocks, as we experience tests, whatever they may be, maybe it's, uh, I wasn't paying attention, wrecked a car, maybe it's, the wife wrecks the car, or maybe a deer jumps out in front of the children, or whatever. Um, maturity. The ability to keep your head on straight, think level, and address major issues in life without losing your cool or losing your calm. And, uh, I don't know, it seems like sometimes, and, and this is my sorry testimony, I guess, whatever, it seems like at times I can deal with bigger ones than I can little ones. Um, you know, when my daughter's, you know, is Astro Van, it's only about three months, we only owned it about three months, and the girls go home, and, and they said this huge buck jumped out in front of them and just smashed up front end, busted out the windshield and everything, and, and you know, I, I, my first question, is everybody okay? And they said, yeah, everybody's okay. I said, well, that, that's, that's, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. You know, We'll deal with everything else, but if everything, everybody's okay, we're, that's, that's fine. But 
if somebody backs into the garage door when it's not quite open, then something else kind of kicks in. So maturity. Tests bring maturity. If we're paying attention, if we're understanding, and we're willing to let God speak to us, that is a, a good benefit. Perfect. And entire. Anybody have a, uh, here have a, a just nice, rounded out personality? I mean, it's just like, it's good all around. All around, you know, like, you got that? Complete. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to take an area that we're just like kind of caved in on that side. And he's like, I want to get that out there and get you a nice rounded personality. And I do it by difficulty. God wants to complete us. What else do you want to do? Well, I, I, again, when we hit big ones sometimes, and we just really don't know where to go. I mean, th th this here's a really big one. It's not quite as simple as dragging the van to the auto body shop and letting the insurance pay everything but the deductible. You know, it's like maybe this involves people or whatever. And we just like, I don't know. I am at wit's end. I just don't know where to go. And I love Job. I mean, he's he just grappling and he's saying, I wish I could tell somebody. I wish somebody would come to my rescue. I wish I could communicate. I wish all these things. But he said, I know that when this is all over, I'm going to be purified like gold. I just like when he comes through with that. It's like you say, well, well where's, where is Job? You know, is he, is he kind of wavering here or whatever? And every once in a while, he just comes clean. And he says, oh, I know whatever happens here. I, I can't talk to anybody. It don't make any sense to me. But I know that. And, and Job is on his quest for wisdom from God. I, I wish God could talk to me. I wish I could understand and here it says, you know when you're with sin and, and the test is on and you can't understand it, go to God. Do I go to God for wisdom when everything's just like smooth? No. It doesn't drive me in, into the arms of God to ask Him, you know, Lord, I'm at with sin. You know, if, if you don't figure this out, we're all in trouble. If you can't help me. And he says, let him ask of God. And God will give it to you. And he won't scold you. But you have to ask faith. Ask in faith. So it's this, this quest for wisdom helps us understand that we don't have it in ourselves. And if somebody's going to do it, it has to be God. And so 
God, I know you're big enough. So that affirms our faith. Ask in faith and don't waver. My faith is going to have to take me through here. Because I don't have any other options. So it, it, it creates within me a need of affirming my faith and strengthening my faith in God. That sense of need does in tests. Number seven. Pardon me, number six. In verse 7 and 8. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It clarifies our thinking. You know, in life, there are times, I believe, that we think we have more options than what we actually do. You follow what I'm saying? In the time of test, it clarifies, it eliminates options that we think that we may have had to do, and, and it, you know, it takes care of that double-minded thing and helps us to focus. It takes the wavering out of our mind. Of how much I can accomplish and how much God has to accomplish. Number seven. It levels our class distinctions. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, and whether the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes, so also shall the rich man fade away in all his ways. One thing that I find interesting, I find extremely interesting, is Mayo Clinic is the big leveler. You ever think about that? Mayo Clinic is the big leveler in my mind. You know, you, you can be... Some ordinary person from Prairie Church, and you can go over to Mayo Clinic, and, and they can try to fix you up. Or you can be the king of who knows where, and you can fly in in your big old 747 jumbo jet, and you can rent the whole floor, and you can bring your entourage of 80 people along, and you can do anything you want to do, but when all said and done, Mayo Clinic can only do so much for anybody, and it don't matter whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And they send the average Joe home to die in the air, and they sing, send the king home to die. And if employees giving you a problem and a fit. Does it matter if you have a hundred bucks or a hundred thousand? You know, I, I guess you could afford to fire the guy, but still. There are common tests 
that people have that absolutely has nothing to do with money. I, I'm pointing fingers here, but every single married couple here has had their had, had their little little uh, whatever you know disagreement. All right, it doesn't matter if you have a hundred thousand in the bank or you're two thousand dollars in the bank. You have to work it out. All right, it's a test. Our marriages are tests. We have our disagreements. We have to work it out. We have to whatever. And so, tests. Level the playing field, if you want to call it that. Or the working field. Or the field of our relationship with God. Number eight. Qualifies us for heaven. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to him that love him. Qualifies us for heaven. Cleans us up. Gets that junk off the top when the heat comes on. I want to go there. Do you? Sure we do. Verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, evil neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Testing exposes our carnal tendency to blame shift. It helps us assume personal responsibility. What's well, God's fault? Now wait a minute. Really? Is all your tests God's fault? No. He allows them to happen. But some of our tests are our own fault. So... We cannot blame God. We cannot blame everybody else for the tests we go in. Because some of them, and maybe more than we want to admit, are just simple results of our carnal lust, the Bible says. You know, probably one of the biggest, oh, how can I say this, advantages a marriage, a family, a church, well, in any relationship is the simple idea that if something happens, we have to go find somebody that was caused the problem. If we can get past that, you know, There's things that are tests that we face that absolutely nobody caused. It just didn't. 
It just happened. Was it my daughter's fault that the huge buck jumped out in front of the van? Absolutely not. Hey, just going down the road and the vehicle was coming this way and obviously the deer was waiting for that to go by and as soon as that one got by it jumped right out in front of them and they were going this way. It just happens. So we need to learn through tests to back up objectively and say, no, wait a minute. Is this somebody else's fault? Is it my fault? Has my loss caused me this problem? Uh, Etc. Number 16, it delivers us from error. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We need to look objectively the way God sees it and sometimes we get a blinding glimpse of the obvious about ourselves. I just had a completely wrong perspective and because I was working from a wrong perspective this thing came up and I need to look at it. Number 11. We can look back and affirm our testings as a good and perfect gift from God. And I look at this and I'm thinking, okay, he's talking about all this testing. Now he's just switching the subject. And, and now wait a minute. A lot of times in the Bible when you think the writer's switching the subject, he's not really switching the subject. He's just keeping on going and we're not following the train of thought. And so this is, I had to say, you know, uh, now he's talking about being tested, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. Oh yeah, well you know he's changed the subject. Now he's talking about a raise at work. No, no. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Do I recognize that? And say, you know, somehow or the other, this has to be something really good that maybe I'm not seeing and I want to see. And it could be the best thing that happened to me. The best thing that happened to me. Can I receive it as a gift? As, not just as a gift, but a perfect gift. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Testing produces first fruit. Now I looked that up. It's like, how can we be first fruits? What are first fruits? Like, what's this have to do with anything here? Well, in the Old Testament, when when the harvest started. They took, went out in the field and whatever they used, a scythe or whatever, and they took that first fruit, the first, we could say the first semi-load of 
corn coming out of the field. And they took it and they presented it to God. That's the first. God gets the first. Could it be that our testing produces a fruit and we can give that to God and because we give that to God the whole harvest changes its perspective. It's the beginning of something that hasn't been harvested before. So I had to ask myself, if by testing I can receive all these 12 things that we just talked about, why can't I get the vision? I want patience. I want maturity. I want completeness. I want wisdom from God. I want additional faith. I want my thinking clarified. I want to have no class distinction. I want to be qualified for heaven. I want to assume personal responsibility. I want to be delivered from error. I want to look back as a gift from God. And I want my life to produce fruit, but somehow I don't want to be tested. Maybe it has something to do with my spiritual maturity. Maybe it has something to do with my frame of reference. But I have to admit that if I got all these 12 things, that I would become more like the image of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that all of us this morning would gain that vision. We'd be able to step back and say, Lord, I want to be like you.